Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week at the Arizona Republic's main newsroom in downtown Phoenix are... Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics in the legislature and currently am writing about child welfare. Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Richard Rellis. I'm following the governor and state politics in general. Robert Graham, former chairman of the Arizona Republican Party. Felicia Rodlini, chair of the Democratic Party in Arizona. Thank you so much to our guests for being here today. We really appreciate it. This week on The Gaggle, President Donald Trump is not on the ballot, but he and his policies are shaping Arizona's 2018 midterm elections. From his stance on Russia to child migrant separations to tariffs and the border wall, how is his presidency affecting the way Democratic and Republican candidates are campaigning? Obviously, much is at stake, especially when we're talking about Arizona's hot, hot race, the uh, open U.S. Senate seat. If Arizona's seat goes to a Democrat, for example, it could um, help the party regain control of the Senate and potentially kill the GOP agenda in Congress. If Republicans do well, they could continue to to advance a conservative agenda that will be felt for generations to come. Robert, in your view, how is Trump's presidency affecting uh, the elections and how candidates are positioning themselves from from your party? Yeah, I would tell you that you're seeing that the Republican candidates are aligning themselves more and more with his policy. If you if you start to do more and more um, interaction with people, we do a lot of ID work during the course of elections. We want to hear. We want to talk to the actual voters to understand where they are on these particular issues. And consistently, we're finding that the, the voters are comfortable with his disposition on immigration, his disposition on and, uh, the Affordable Health Care Act, which is not so affordable. They're his position on education universally as it relates to the country. And then you start looking at charity jobs, tax reform, the income improvement for people, and the quality of life that's that's moving the needle forward for most people. We're seeing a conversion, not just from uh, the never Trumpers that Republicans that are coming across. The independents are consistently positioned well, more conservative than not. And then uh, I, we're likely to see crossover, and I know that Felicia may not agree with this, but we're seeing even some Democrat members that are telling us in private settings that they, they are feeling the benefit of a lot of the tax reform and some of the fiscal reform that's happened with this president. So I think it's a positive move, and we're seeing more alignment than not. Felicia, I, I, I know you have another take on this. Sure. And as the chair of the Democratic Party in Arizona, I'm happy to hear that the primary contestants in the Republican primaries are moving towards Donald Trump and moving further and further to the right. Because the general election in November will be a day of reckoning in Arizona. And I remind you that in 2016, Hillary Clinton only lost the state by 4% which was a shocking revelation for a lot of Republicans as well as Democrats when you look at the Rust Belt and other states. And then you look at the CD election in 2018 and you see that independents are going with the Democrats by 14%. And what we see is that it's the platform that matters to Democrats and Republicans and independents in Arizona about health care reform and affordable health care. We're not going to go backwards on health care. Democrats are fighting for health care and fighting for public education and Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. We're sticking with the values and the uh, institutions that Democrats, Republicans, and independents in Arizona want to see preserved. I'd like to get uh, 
a take from both of you in how you interpret the results from the 8th District special election earlier this year. Um, from my perspective, it, this is a very, very Republican district that barely went to the Republican candidate um, in April uh, with nothing else on the ballot. And at the same time, for all the, uh, the rumors of Democratic energy and such, Democratic turnout was identical to Republican turnout in that district with every possible piece of momentum heading in their favor. How is it that you break through and change the fundamental dynamics of a state with historically red leanings? So uh, first we'll go Republican and then we'll, we'll hear from our Democrats. Well, you said it in, in, in so many words. I mean, when you have a 2016 election, it was extremely charged, right? People were fired up. They were engaging in the whole process. And um, we had a remarkable ground game as related to this election. Now, whenever you have a special election, one that's off cycle, your turnout's going to be impacted both by the, on the left and the right. People just aren't familiar with the special election. They don't pay as much attention because it isn't in your face every single day. One thing that we were talking about earlier is that in this election, if you look at this district, it's really hard to use as a benchmark district relative to any election because in the past, like Trent Franks didn't even have a, a Democratic opponent, and, um, and largely because let's just assume they were trying to be disciplinous as to the outcome and not spend money in an election that they would likely lose. So now you insert a Democratic candidate. So who the districts in this state have all shifted around, some more conservative, some have become a little bit more moderate or left-leaning and such, and we see that kind of evolution in every single state. But in this particular district, you had a candidate, short election, short cycle, and you had maybe 4% as it relates to, or 4-ish percent as it relates to the outcome. But the, nonetheless, we won. And you mentioned turnout. And if there's a great big wave where you measure turnout or people getting all jazzed up to turn out, they, the only way to win is by having more people vote. And so in a district like this, and, and it's farther away from that big move, the turnout was comparable, but we ended up winning. I will say, I will interject, you mentioned it wasn't in people's faces. If you had a television or a smartphone, that election was in your face. but Yeah. Election day, Democrats had a fabulous turnout and statistically looking at trends in past cycles way ahead of where we've been. We believe that there was a turnout that was slower than what we'll anticipate in November for the very reason you said, Robert, and that was it was a special election. But there's an infrastructure that we're building in CD8 that didn't exist before the special election. And I know that district very well. As a candidate in 2010 and 2014, I saw the evolution of that, of the, of the retirement communities. We're talking about retirees that were in high school and college now in the 60s and the 50s. These are progressive, and what we're seeing is a change in the demographics and the political persuasion of those demographics in the retired com communities. Well, and I spent some time last week at one retirement community in Phoenix, and I have to tell you, they are saying the exact same thing that you said, and these are people who um, are independents and are undecided, at least in the U.S. Senate race, who they're going to go for, but these are people who have had their children, they have grandkids, They've from, they're from that era, and they are re-engaged, and they are walking the neighborhoods. And I know you've shared some stories about some of these people who are walking the streets like they did you know, 50, 60 years ago um, for a cause they view greater than themselves. So what does that enthusiasm look like come November? 
Well, there are legislative districts in Congressional District 8 that have never, ever even been organized on the Democratic side before. And they have retirement uh, communities that care now about health care, Social Security, and public education. When I was walking through a community in Peoria the day before, the weekend before the special election, there were so many red for ed signs in the windows of these homes that we knew were Republican homes that um, we knew something has changed. That's the intangible that we are not going to be able to measure until Election Day. I just have to say something. I mean, you can't, if you try to align a specific policy, you got to remember that Democrats and Republicans, if they're being responsible as voters, they're going to look at policies responsible. The red for ed, I mean, you had a Republican majority vote for, all of the Republicans voted for it. You had the governor put this thing in place. You had no Democrats vote for it. So this is this became a people issue. This became a teacher issue. So you, you would hope to expect to see that type of movement where you see signs and such. And if you're using it as a barometer, I think you've already missed the, missed the mark. The other thing is you talk just, just about... Just briefly, just some, some Democrats, including Steve Farley, who's running for governor, did vote for the pay raise package. Yeah, this... Okay, interesting. So you... Um, so you look at the um, uh, the Congressional District 8. I agree with everything you said about the infrastructure. You did, Democrats didn't have infrastructure in place. They did not have any real effort on the ground in Congressional District 8. So the effort was, was good. I mean, that's the thing I, I look at, and I appreciate good politics as, as it relates to ground game and such. And so that's one of the things that moved the needle. But that doesn't suggest that that's the wave. Okay, what that suggests is finally there's some good politicking happening on the grassroots in a specific district. So that, I think, consistently helps turn out. Also, Felicia mentioned the red for ed, and I think uh, one thing we've got to look at is what the impact of the ballot measures will be um, in terms of turnout. The way things are lining up, and again, nothing's qualified for the ballot yet, except for the voucher issue. Um, who will that bring out to the polls? If the... Um, the tax increase for education gets on the ballot. Who does that bring out? If the dark money measure gets on, or dirty money, I think they're calling it, who does that bring out? And how does that then counterbalance with, you know, maybe the energy that people might be feeling from some of the, the Trump agenda? You know, the tax cuts, the Affordable Care Act. There's also a lot of pushback about this most recent immigration policy. I've been in the middle of writing about a lot of this, the separated kids at the border, and now the walk back on that, and wait till we see the cost of, of what it's taking to, to do that. And, and I'll piggyback on that just a bit. Um, I, I agree with Felicia, the Democrats have stood up uh, an infrastructure in the 8th District. I think the fundamentals in that district are still a bridge too far in 2018 for that party in that race. But these kinds of, um, uh, you know, tactical uh, decisions by Democrats to compete more aggressively in places where they haven't done so recently, it sounds like a pretty good way to make things like the governor's race or the Senate race a lot more competitive um, because you are starting to turn out uh, people who, along with these uh, ballot measures, may be more inclined to vote Democratic that might not have done so in the past. Robert, does that give keep you up at night worrying about Democrats finding new uh, voters and having people uh, coming out, uh, whether it's Tom Steyer's army or, you know, just a, an organic Arizona um, uh, grown uh, force trying to find new voters who are especially motivated, especially in the Trump era? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, when you look at any state, and I, regardless of voter registration majorities or not, every party has an opportunity to win with their candidates if they have the best ground game. 
You've got to capture the imagination of the voters. You've got to find something that's relevant to them. Dark money, most people don't know what that is, or dirty money, they don't get it. You know, Other issues that come around, they may not get it. And so to try to motivate the masses to turn out and do it, I mean, there may be some that get it, and that's a single issue for them, and you've got to communicate it to them. But at the same time, it is, uh, it is, uh, it's got to be a meaningful message. And so when you see things like in congressional district date, where you see the mobilization of the structure, that concerns me. Because that's how we've won them the last few cycles is because we've had a very strong, mobilized, intentional ground game with messaging and to move things along. And so, again, any team that associates with smart ground game operations, they're going to be a threat in any matchup. And I think that's something that any Republican chairman should be concerned with. Let me address the fact that we have competent, qualified Democrats running in every single legislative district, in every single congressional district, regardless of how red it is and regardless of what the odds are of them winning, the reason being the presidency, the election of 2016, March for Our Lives, Women's March, Red for Ed, and the four initiatives are an indictment. They're an indictment on the Republican agenda in the state of Arizona. Dirty money, that's about people do know what that means. And they are sick and tired of outside money, particularly the Koch brothers, coming in and controlling Arizona politics and leadership. Red for Ed, invest in Ed. And we have the, the genera generation, TGENs, not TGEN, uh, clean energy. Uh, clean energy. So these are indictments of not only um, the education policies of the Republicans in Arizona, but all of the fact that we need to protect our election system, the fact that our ratepayers for electricity need to have choice. That's going to bring out all kinds of voters that are going to vote Democrat. Yeah, I would say like whether or not people know what the dark money, dirty money actually factually means or clean energy the names alone kind of sound self-explanatory on the on the ballot it worked for clean elections back in the day <laughs> yeah but, I, but i'll tell it's you just the label alone look, look, right? at, look at good old uh, terry goddard and paul johnson i mean how successful have they been in this initiatives people just can't tie themselves to it they just they're trying to if you look at voters generally speaking they have a broad understanding of a lot of the issues but they become single issue voters and what happens is if you look at the single issues, and it may be education, it might be energy, who knows what that specific energy or that issue is unless you ask them. If you throw this broad range of topics out in front of individuals, what you find is they get paralyzed. See, one of the things that I would say, and this is not me giving any kind of uh, recommendation to the Democratic Party, you've got 15 different thoughts going on out there, and you're trying to mobilize people around a unified message. If Trump's the unified message, then you've missed it, because people want to know how you're going to improve their quality of life. But if the, if the message this time is education, say, and, education. and, the, and it does make the ballot, do you think there's a voter who might, a, a, a voter who's energized by the ballot initiative who's going to vote for increased education funding by taxing the rich, but also then vote for their Republican candidates? So did you say taxing the rich yes. or taxing people, right? But I mean, here, here the bottom line is, is it's you're going to find somebody motivated absolutely by education, whatever side of that coin they're going to be on. You're going to find somebody that will be motivated by the dark money discussion or the dirty money. Now they're rebranding it because people didn't understand what dark money meant, okay? Then you start going around. So yes, everybody's going to be motivated. The mission is getting the masses, giving a message to the masses so you have the absolute turnout to win elections. 
if, if we think we're going to motivate two or three people, that's great. But, hey, the, but the reality is you got to win. I'm curious, since we started this conversation wondering about President Trump's effect on the election, is he going to come here? Is he going to campaign for candidates? Would he campaign for Martha McSally? Does Doug Ducey want him to come here and campaign? Um, you know, some of our congressional members, what's, uh, what's the reading out there in the field? Well, first, I just want to say, Mr. Graham, you're living in past election cycles. This is a new dawn and a new era in Arizona. And Donald Trump is the reason for it, as well as the chaos and the failed policies, both in Washington, D.C. and in Arizona. So if I am waiting to find out whether the Republicans, once the primary is over, want our president uh, to come out to Arizona, because I think it will cut against the majority of Arizonans. And you haven't heard me once talk about Trump in a negative way. Not today. And I'm telling you, it's about <laughs> values, and it's about what matters to Arizonans. And to be honest with you, what I see is a engaged and enraged electorate in Arizona that sees the consequences of the 26th presidential election. So what I'm seeing on the ground, and I'm spending quite a bit of time with Republican voters um, reporting out the, the U.S. Senate race and, and some associated storylines that will, Ron and I eventually will get to, these are people who, um, aside from the base, who love Trump so much and, you know, specifically want someone in there who can help him achieve whatever his agenda is 100%. There are a lot of undecided, squishy, independent voters who are showing up to both Democratic and Republican events who are just trying to learn more. And to me, that signals discerning voters who um, I think might cross the ballot, might not vote up and down Republican or Democrat, are really trying to educate themselves um, in, a, in a way that I don't think I've seen for a very long time. So when you're talking about these people, these are going to be the people who are going to decide in many races, right? Like who's going to win? These is this, that squishy middle. Many of them are women. How do you effectively message to women when you have a president in the White House who, you know, is separating parents from their children and is, you know, doing things that might run counter to this, um, maybe the perception that he's keeping America safe? Well, I just want to mention that in CD8, one of the most telling stats is that Republican women stayed home. They didn't vote for a Republican woman running for Congress. And I think that that is an indication that there's embarrassment and there is discernment about the, what the Republican sta Party stands for. So to answer your question specifically, each candidate, okay, we're, we're saying this isn't um, a Trump election. He's going to have his influence on election, and these candidates are going to get out with their messages, as we're seeing now. Primary, the candidates are making their message. They're putting their vision on parade. They have their websites up. They're doing what they can to communicate with the voters. They have a responsibility to define themselves and not let them or the party be defined by one individual, regardless if it's Donald Trump or anybody else in the party. They, need to, they have a responsibility to do that. The point that you bring up about the discerning, it shows me that we've got voters that are engaging in the process, and we appreciate that. Because when they get to hear the message, whether it's on the left or the right, wherever they like, we like it when people engage in this whole process because that's where we have better turnouts for the state because it's more consistent with the vote.
voters' in, intentions and such. The whole comment about the new Don and living in past elections, I have heard that comment multiple times. It's no surprise that a progressive would say that this is old news and today is a different day because that's that's the mantra. But the reality is is that the the, the Democratic Party is having a hard time identifying themselves. You talk about values. Look, you've got Lieberman out there smashing on the socialists that they're parading around. You've got Perez out there doing these things. You've got consistent and constant attacks from people like Maxine Waters that is telling people to boycott and this resistance. You have a great history of people occupying dirt in front of buildings and such, but then it has to translate to votes. So this isn't a slam. This is the reality. This is like, hey, if you want to turn out and win elections, you have to you have to turn out voters. If you believe that you can inspire people to do it and you'll win, then so be it. You'll work hard and you deserve the trophy. But at the same in the same vein, I would tell you consistently in this state, Republicans are reliable, especially in the midterm election, and they are engaged because of all of the positive things that the 2016 election turned out from this presidency. So I'd like to still hear an answer to Mary Jo's question. Do you think Leah Marquez Peterson would welcome the president on the campaign trail? Do you think that Steve Ferrara would like to stand arm in arm with Donald Trump, whoever emerges in the first district uh, for the Republicans? Do you think they want the president there campaigning? Well, it's hard to answer for any specific candidate because what, again, you have in every district, you've got different demographics. They're engaging with the electorate themselves intimately personally they're going to understand the messaging i can tell you that any one of these candidates that become our nominees they are going to have direct interaction with political which is the political department of the white house and they're going to talk through strategy they're going to be smart and they're going to be thoughtful about the entire process the president doesn't want people to lose right he wants to have and maintain the majority in the house and the senate and be able to work his agenda forward so he'll be responsible in what he does but do you think there are some districts where the president's presence would hurt the republican candidate i wouldn't be able to tell Tell you because I don't have the intimacy that these candidates have. They would suggest to you that in heavily Hispanic districts or things like that, there, there may be a challenge. But in other in other parts, it's hard to say because what we found, like when I was down in Nogales and I spent months in Nogales and working, the number one issue was jobs. Get us jobs, get us employment, help us as much as we possibly can. And then you hear Hispanic, you know, all-time low unemployment. And so it's really hard for people. And we do polling. A lot of times we take polls and we don't know what if it's coming back at us is 100% the truth, if they're afraid of the information, you know, getting out that they may like somebody. There are so many variables now that impact polls that it's very difficult. That's why the boots on the ground and having candidates report back up is where we find out the real information from the voters. Just one more shot at this. Just to put a real <laughs> fine point on this, Leah Marquez-Peterson versus presumably Ann Kirkpatrick in a district that Hillary Clinton won by five percentage points, um, do you think that Donald Trump is an asset in that district? The, the short answer is not the answer you want, is possibly. I mean, look, you, you have to talk to the candidate. One thing as a chair, you have to have an incredible discipline to let the candidates run their campaign. Our job is to help facilitate turnout, so you've got to let them. And this isn't me passing the buck, this is me saying, look, you may be surprised by Leah's approach, okay? We all might. We don't know. The, we don't have the intimate fact pattern on the, on the ground right now, or at least I don't, And with, outside of her specific campaign. That's her well, responsibility. Let's ask it this way. Would the Democratic Party be willing to fly in the president to campaign for some of these Republicans? In CD2, you bet. <laughs> uh, we would. And I'm telling you that um, what I see on the ground is that everyone right now is embarrassed and afraid 
of this president. And that's because of the debacle at the Helsinki summit. Uh, two days ago, I got a text from a friend who said, I don't know what to do. I got to get involved. I can't be believe what's happening in Helsinki. There's so much going on that shows that we need checks and balances in Washington, D.C. So you could talk all day about what the disjointedness of the Democratic national message is. I'm telling you today, Thomas Friedman said it best, everybody better vote for Democrats because we need checks and balances, we need Democrats in the Senate, and we need Democrats in Congress to have some kind of control. But what is the U.S. Senate Republican candidates doing to call out Donald Trump for failing to stand up to a, a hostile foreign power, who, a, a communist dictator who wants nothing more than to ruin our democracy. That's what's at stake in this election. And the more that those kinds of things happen, and the more we worry about our global security as well as our social security and our public education, that is what's going to turn Arizona blue, and it's going to make sure that we have a Democratic majority in the Congress and in the Senate. So I have uh, a question for you, Felicia. You know, one of the things it seems like that will help Arizona turn blue is Democratic voters, and it's something we're just not seeing. When we look at the voter registration numbers every time they come out, uh, I keep looking for evidence of this blue wave, and I'm just not seeing it. Robert's team is adding people. They're adding them in every district. They are adding them in districts that uh, are red and getting redder. They are adding them in uh, districts that seem like they're a jump ball. I keep hearing about the Democratic wave coming. It seems like it should start with Democratic voters. Where are they? They are out there. They're also registered independents who are voting Democrat. There has always been a belief that a lot of people moved to Arizona they don't want to associate themselves as Democrats because there is the feeling that this is a Republican state and to be have business advantages, to be an entrepreneur, you got to get involved with the Chambers of Commerce. You can't show your true colors. So we have a lot of independents that are going to vote Democrat and have been continuing to vote de Democrat. We have Republicans who are Republican in name only because none of the values that they believe in are what the Republicans are talking about. The 4.5% margin in CD8, I, you don't have to be a mathematician to know that there was a lot of Democrats that voted for them, for uh, Dr. Harrell Tibernini, but there was more Republicans and independents. So we are uh, registering voters, we're registering young voters, we're registering um, Latino and people of color and women, but we're also doing the job of talking to our persuadables. And those are our independents and our Republicans who we know from their voting patterns that they vote Democrat. For our final segment, we are going to spill some tea. So traditionally, the reporters spill a little bit of gossip or behind the scenes insight about what's happening on their beat. This time, we're going to put it on you too. Spill some tea about the Democrats, Robert. <laughs> All I can say is that coming uh, in a theater near you, you're going to see some interesting um, history that uh, a statewide candidate, actually two statewide candidates, one statewide candidate assumed and took credit for uh, Affordable Health Care Act. And you will see uh, lots of posts on Facebook and wonderful social media that memorialized all the comments that are inconsistent with everything she says today and for the last two and a half years. But will there be tutus? Tutus, there could be, actually. And, and, but there'll definitely be Prada on high heels. But um, the, other, 
the other one is, um, uh, you know, we have people that really appreciate education, might be running that on that as a core issue, that have maybe used other people's uh, writings to uh, finish off thesis or other kind of juicy things. So we've got some great, great um, data and some verifications that are going to find their way to the uh, theater tier. near us. We're going to see this at the movies. No, you'd see it, but broadcast. You know, we'll when uh, Felicia engages with social media. We'll, we'll post it on social media, too, so everybody can see it. We really ought to have you in more often to spill tea. <laughs> yes, this will be fun, actually. Felicia. Doug Ducey's in trouble. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that understand that he is a puppet of the Koch brothers. He sees himself as someone who can make it to the national stage. Uh, it's not a secret that his desire to be a vice presidential candidate is all about his um, alignment with the Koch brothers. Uh, he's the next Scott Walker. Let's all see where he that guy went. And so I believe that in this election cycle, there will be such information uh, through the media, through the networks, that will show this guy's true colors, that he's not the education governor. He's not even the, the governor that cares about or gives a damn about Arizona. He's the governor who's using and has always used this platform to launch himself to be uh, Mr. Pence's best friend because he thinks being governor makes him a vice presidential is that candidate. information the party has and will release slowly? Or she just did it. She just did it. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> Both of you, thank you very much. That is really good, strong tea. That is it for today. We will do it again soon. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. At Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Uh, I'm at Relis Writings, R-U-E-L-A-S Writings. And I'm at Robert S. Graham. I'm at AZ Dem Party. Thanks to the politics team and also our producer, Sierra Juarez. You might not hear her voice, but you hear her wonderful editing every week. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.